Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, July 24th, 2018, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is Candace Covington, who is a certified aromatherapist, healing arts master, and energy worker. A former instructor at Ashmead College in Ayurvedic theory and aromatherapy, she is now the primary aromatherapist at the Chopra Center. I hope I said that right. Candace is the founder of Divine Archetypes, an essential oil company, and she lives in Oregon City, Oregon. Her book, Essential Oils in Spiritual Practice, shows how essential oils are powerful vibrational tools for effecting change, and she reveals how they allow each of us to deliberately steer our own destiny, fulfill our own personal dharma, and be all that our souls intended us to be. And you can check out her website, which is divinearchetypes.org. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you can get our weekly show notices if you select the notification option. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind, whether emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it uh, about three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first off this evening, I'd like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. <laughs> Take it away, Anastasia. Well, hi, Ariel. Good evening, hi, everyone. Hi. Great to be with you. Hi. Well, on Friday, which will be the 27th of July, three beautiful things will happen in the night sky simultaneously. First, Mars will be at opposition, directly opposite to the sun, and making a 15-year close approach to the Earth. Secondly, Mars and the moon will be in conjunction, less than 10 degrees apart. And third, the moon will pass through the shadow of the Earth, making the longest lunar eclipse in a century. So wow. Friday, July 27th, if you can get out to see the night sky, please do. For more information, you can go to spaceweather.com. Well, they had 10 shallow and moderate earthquakes strike southern Oregon over a period of five hours today. 
It started, I think, with a 4.3 magnitude quake recorded off the southern Oregon coast early this morning. And within just following hours, nine more earthquakes were recorded in the same area. The first tremor was detected about 200 miles west-southwest of Pistol River in Oregon, near the Oregon-California border. The next eight were recorded within a few miles of the first, and the tenth was only 62 miles west-southwest of Brookings. Let us not forget that is right along the, the Pacific Ring of Fire. We have had a lot of fire trouble all across the planet, wildfires, and Sweden is not exempt. Sweden, it is now battling over 50 wildfires simultaneously, and authorities say that some of these fires are impossible to extinguish. More than 50 wildfires, 10 more than yesterday, are now alight across central and western Sweden, but also above the Arctic Circle. Sweden's head of civil defense said fire crews were struggling to bring the most ferocious forest fires in years under control. Four of these fires have become too large for firefighters to extinguish, and with no rain in sight, they say the situation is unlikely to improve in the immediate future. Now, Euronews is reporting that Poland has joined other EU countries helping to battle these wildfires, which are being attributed to hot weather and low rainfall. Now, data from the European Commission's Joint Research Center has, showed that, has shown that there have been 53 filed wildfires this year. Now, normally, by this time of year, there would have been only three fires. And many parts of Sweden have seen their driest weather in May to mid-July since records began in the 19th century, according to official sources. That's pretty amazing. And in wow. relationship to this, although... Oh, when you hear me tell you about this, we're going to have a question mark. Um, and here's the story. Day turns to night in Arctic Siberia. The, lo the locals are baffled as light returns with a layer of black dust covering everything. Now, local population north of Yakusha said daylight was completely gone for several hours. Now, people from two remote districts went to newspapers asking local media to explain what they call the devilry of what happened. Now, these isolated Arctic communities were plunged into darkness, even though right now they have 24-hour light at this time of year. Um, An uh, onlooker said the sun went down around 11 in the morning and didn't come back until 2 in the afternoon. I couldn't see a thing without switching lights on. We took torches to walk outside in that they mean flashlights. But actually, no one wanted to be on the street because the feeling was as if something heavy in the air was pressing on your chest. End quote. Well, after the sun returned, local people found a thick layer of dust covering everything outside. Now, one explanation for the phenomenon is the dust or ash from wildfires and perhaps ash from volcanoes that have been raging over a territory of 12,000 kilometers since the beginning of July. Yet neither of these two districts were close to wildfire areas. They're not close. And the air was completely still on the morning that it happened. No upper atmosphere winds. Witnesses said that water in open street barrels turned into a dirty mess. Water in lakes went black because of dust. No other area of this part of the world reported this cataclysm. It's a mystery. 
Was wow. it smoke from wildfires? Was it ash from volcanoes circling the planet? Again, no wind. No real explanation. Bizarre. The sun went out at 11 in the morning and didn't come back until 2 in the afternoon. It went dark. Nobody knows why. And in, in Greece, the situation is truly critical as residents are fleeing wildfires by jumping into the sea. At least 80 people are dead. Multiple wildfires across Greece's Attica region have claimed the lives of at least 49 people. Actually, it's 80 today, excuse me. It's, they've updated it. In the last 24 hours, it went from 49 to 80. And with dozens of other people injured, authorities have warned of further casualties and pleaded for the uh, EU response. They need help. Around half of the victims are from the village of Mati, a holiday resort on the east coast of the Attica region, just 30 kilometers from Athens. Now, across the rest of the country, some 168 people have also been injured. Now, according to local uh, authorities, some settlements have disappeared from the map. At least 15 wildfires are simultaneously raging across three fronts of the Attic Peninsula, which includes the capital, Athens. Now, ironically, some of the fatalities from the fires are from drowning. As the fast-moving fire surrounded seaside communities, people had to jump into the ocean to survive. Survivors report that they were carried away by currents and smoke obscured their vision. And some remained on the beach, just covered in wet towels, listening to the explosions of gas canisters and shielding themselves from burning pine cones that fell from the sky. That is a nightmare scene to imagine. Dreadful. Oh. So light and help to all these people. Uh, well, this is a, an amazing, disturbing story. Sorry. But the IMF is now predicting that Venezuela is on the brink of, get this, a 1 million percent hyperinflation. That's hard to imagine. What I said 1 million percent. They say that Venezuela is facing one of the worst hyperinflationary crisis in modern history, according to the International Monetary Fund, which is the IMF. It expects the country's economy to contract by 18% this year amid falling oil production, the third consecutive year of double-digit declines and three points worse than projected back in May. We are projecting a surge in inflation to 1 million percent by the end of 2018 to signal that the situation in Venezuela is similar to that in Germany in 1923, said the head of the IMF's department. He also pointed to economic distortions, including printing money to finance the government. He said, we expect the government to continue to run wide fiscal deficits, which will continue to fuel an acceleration of inflation as money continues to collapse. One million Venezuelan bolivar, which is like our dollar, right now today, one million of them is worth just eight dollars. And there were photographs with this story that showed a man with a, a stack of money. It was three feet tall by three feet wide. I don't know what he was buying, but he was trying to acquire goods, and that's how much it took. All right, on to science. This is unprecedented. Genetic researchers can reverse wrinkles, gray hair, and balding in mice, which means... 
They say they can do it in people, too. A recent genetic experiment has reversed age-related wrinkles and hair loss at the genetic level in mice. Humanity will be able to have a similar makeover in the near future. Scientists conducting the study introduced a mitochondrial gene mutation on a test mouse, which prompted a change, a profound change in appearance. Here's what's concerning. They don't say what kind, but the mouse was fed an antibiotic, which prompted the change within the gene. Yikes. Interesting they didn't tell us what kind of antibiotic, isn't it? Well, anyway, within four weeks, the mouse had developed wrinkled skin and extensive hair loss. Now, when they uh, returned the mouse to regular function, assuming they gave him lots of probiotics, I don't know, but when that function was restored within the gene by turning off the mutation, the mouse returned to a life of smooth skin and furry body in just two months. He looked perfect, just like a healthy mouse of the same age. And the scientists say that this is, this is unprecedented. This should provide an opportunity for the development of preventative and therapeutic drug development strategies for the treatment of aging-associated skin and hair pathology and other diseases in which mitochondrial dysfunction plays a significant role, according to the professor of genetics that led the study. I'll take my, I'll take my wrinkles, thank you. Leave my genes alone. Anyway, that's just me, (laughs) you know, just saying. (laughs) All right. Well, we're on the road to making artificial humans. I've talked about this before, but this is an important story. Scientists have finally managed to create embryo-like structures in the lab. Cambridge University team of scientists have taken a move to go further in creating artificial embryos using mouse stem cells. These poor little mice. They're using mouse stem cells to manufacture structures capable of taking a critical step in the development of human life. Researchers at Cambridge University built the structures from scratch and bypassed the act of fertilization by growing them in the lab. Now, although the cells came from mice, the experiment has opened up a Pandora's box of major ethical implications for embryo research, as attempting to create a baby from such a technique would be outlawed in Britain. Now, mind you, this is Cambridge just doing this. One expert said any artificial embryos made from human stem cells would have to be subject to an ethical discussion, according to the Irish News. And it is thought that this research will enable scientists to unlock the mysteries of early human development, oh goody, in which lab-grown embryonic cells will self-organize into the perfect, correct structure for an embryo, a human embryo, to take form. And back to the environment. This is a story that is really something. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Do you know, you've probably heard a bit about this. I won't say you've not heard it on mainstream, but they're having a terrible drought out west, and it's causing uh, a need for extreme measures to protect the wild horses. Yes, there are still wonderful wild horses in the American West. And harsh drought conditions are pushing wild horses to the brink of death and extinction and inciting measures to protect them. 
and now for the first time, volunteer groups in Arizona and Colorado are hauling thousands of gallons of water per day and truckloads of food to these remote grazing grounds where the springs have run dry and there is no vegetation for the horses to eat. Federal land managers also have begun emergency roundups in the desert areas of Utah and Nevada. And in May, dozens of horses were found dead on the edge of a dried-up watering hole in northeastern Arizona. I reported on that. And as spring has turned to summer, the drought conditions have turned from bad to worse. Parts of the region have witnessed some of the driest conditions on record amid a cycle of high temperatures and low snowmelt that appears to be getting worse. Now, this region is home to roughly 67,000 wild horses. Now, about the Federal Bureau of Land Management. They say the problem facing wild horses stems from overpopulation aggravated by severe drought, which, what do you guys think? To me, that's really contrary reasoning. You know, severe drought is the way nature's way of thinning the herd, not overpopulating the herd. So that's a head-scratcher. Anyway, that's what they say. And they go on to say that their emergency roundup in western Utah began a week ago. And they have a goal to remove 250 wild horses from a population of approximately 670 in a particular group. They think this will take several weeks. And once the horses are rounded up, the government will give them veterinary treatment and offer them for sale or adoption. Now, those that aren't sold or adopted are transferred to privately contracted corrals and pastures for the long term. A similar emergency roundup began this month in central Nevada, and officials said that some of the horses in a herd of 2,100 could die from lack of water in the coming weeks. The operation was halted, ironically, because of extreme rain, but they hope that they will continue. But not just the government. You know how this got started? You know who started this first? Volunteers. This is a beautiful story. People have gotten together to haul hay to dozens of locations outside of Phoenix and other areas of the south, southwest to feed and water these starving wild horses. Now, on the Navajo Nation, a Native American couple that honors the sacred purpose of the horse and of Mother Earth... They are working without relenting in an effort to leave water and food for horses they say would die without human intervention. And to my knowledge, my last research indicated that they're doing this out of money from their own pocket. They take their dilapidated pickup. They fill water bottles. And this is what they do. And I would hope that any starseed that are in the vicinity um, might wish to join, might contact the Navajo Nation to see what they can do to help. In western Colorado, volunteers say they can bring up to, get this, 5,000 gallons of water per day to a herd of 750 thirsty horses. Now, wild horse advocates have balked at the Bureau of Land Management's insistence that wild horse populations are too high. Critics hmm, say the agency is using dry conditions as a smokescreen to shrink horse populations in response to pressure from ranchers whose livestock compete with the horses for grazing land. Now, that is more likely the explanation. Now, the agency is prohibited from euthanizing the wild horses it rounds up, thank goodness, but through President Donald Trump, it has been proposed that the animals be killed or sold for slaughter. 
Now, activists in Nevada held a rally last week at the Bureau of State Headquarters in Reno to protest a a planned roundup later this year. Now, critics want the government to instead use birth control to manage wild horse populations, which would be administered yearly and fired from a dart gun at close range. Well, whatever the long-term answer, the volunteers are saying their efforts can't go on forever. They could use some help, you know. Volunteer saviors say that trucking in water and food could cost several thousands of dollars per month and make horses overly dependent on humans. So I thought perhaps we could see what we could do to help. But there it is. And our last story for tonight. This isn't going to surprise anybody. The latest scientific study is telling us that dogs feel empathy for human suffering. They tell us that dogs who hurry to comfort their owners may be doing so out of empathy, according to a study published in the journal Learning and Behavior. Not only can dogs perceive changes in human emotional states, but man's best friend will take a step further and overcome physical obstacles to go to an owner's aid. No dog owner surprised by this. Now, they tell us that humans and dogs share a strong emotional bond arising from domestication over tens of thousands of years. But despite many popular anecdotes of dog heroism, the scientific evidence for dogs providing actual help to a human is mixed. So, they did this study. And they said that by showing that dogs will perform an action to help a person in distress, this new study intended to advance knowledge of canine empathy and cross-species helping behavior in general. So, here's how it went. In a series of tests uh, led by somebody from McAllister College, 34 dogs were evaluated for empathetic behavior using the, quote, trapped other paradigm which is an experimental design that they used to use in rats. And what is that? Well, each dog is separated from its owner by a clear door held shut with magnets. The owner sits behind the door and will either hum a song or pretend to cry. Now, you know, as a clairvoyant, I can tell you that there's going to be a difference in the energy field of a person who's pretending to cry versus one who is really crying. But having said that, The dogs do have ears, and they listen. So, in both scenarios, whether the person was humming or pretending to cry, some of the dogs managed to open the doors. But they went to their crying owners three times faster than when the owners were humming. They were three times more responsive to a weeping owner than a humming owner. And heart rate monitors that were attached to the dogs uh, that were opening the doors found that the dogs were terribly stressed by the crying, but they weren't too stressed to overcome the obstacle. On the other hand, the dogs that showed the greatest signs of stress, those that had the greatest heart heart indicators, were so upset they could not open the door, suggesting that they were just too upset by the crying to act. And that tears me up. But they are telling us now that it is likely that there are other forms of helping behavior in other pet species, such as cats and parrots, and they plan to do other studies to confirm this. So they're really telling us the obvious, but there it is. Dogs are wonderful, aren't they? Wonderful. Mm. Beautiful beings. We love them. And we love our horses, too. And we love nature. And so for that, I'm going to leave you with this thought from Jacques Cousteau. 
He said, For most of history, man has had to fight nature to survive. In this century, he is beginning to realize that in order to survive, he must protect it. There you go. So that's that's a a great quote. (laughs) Absolutely, and it's true. So from my heart to each one of you, much love. Have a beautiful week, everyone. And don't forget the lunar eclipse and the conjunction and all that good stuff happening Friday night. All right. I'll turn it over to you, Aria. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks so much, Anastasia, for the Starseed News. So now we are going to get um, Lavendar's mic open and our special guest, Candace Covington. Get your microphone open. Okay, Lavender, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Uh, Candace, welcome to the show. We're so happy that you're here with us, and Lavender is going to lead off for us. I'm happy to be here. Hello. Yes, Candace, what a wonderful book, Essential Oils and Spiritual Practice. How long did it take you to write this book? <laughs> so glad you asked. Actually, because it has centered around my own personal healing, it took me kind of an extraordinary long time, um, seven years. Well, it's beautifully written, and I'm I'm so impressed by the way that you decided to go in the direction of the archetypes. So talk to us a little bit about the archetypes and, and why would we want to invoke an archetype in our life? Oh, I just have to quickly reference um, Starseed News and what the, her um, tying off was, because that ties so deeply into what I found to be so profoundly true, is that I figured out that nature holds these holographic stories. And so if you could figure out why you could tap into them, what they could do is actually create these like fundamental changes at our deepest level. So that was sort of a, a gentle entrance into it. But if you want to get into the science behind it, every plant in the um, and rock and um, aspect, they actually hold archetypal um, vibrational patterns, which means that they hold a, vib- a vibratory rate that actually, when they're affected with human beings, that creates a set state of being. And most fascinatingly is that most plants actually have what when people think of deities they usually think of um, um, archetypes as a like an animal or a deity but most plants have an association with that so if you can find what you want to use it actually helps create whatever outcome you want I'm not sure I understand what you just said can you say it in a different way I'm not following yes. you at all. Oh, I'm. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm get very excited, and I did a very bad job. So you were basically asking. Um, okay, so just say it again, and then I will re-listen in a very quiet way. So, um, the archetype. When, when you mention in in your book about divine archetypes, mm-hmm. and how that we are um, harnessing the power of the gods. Okay. Sure. And. Why why would we want to invoke the archetype of any of the gods? That that was my question. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, basically, um, I muddied it before, but basically what it does is it is a very clean template that brings an expected outcome. 
I mean, we're used to most gods and goddesses in our pantheons, and so we know what their behavioral patterns are. So um, depending on what it is that you require, all you have to do is look at basically what each god and goddess represents, and then you invoke that, and they have a plant associated with it, and then you just use the plant. You introduce that into your system, it, re, it basically reorganizes your subtle body, and then it creates it. For example, an Athena would be like a rosemary. A Lakshmi would be a Galangal. I mean, do you have a favorite god or goddess that you like to work with? Athena, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I've already gave that one. Toss out a, a different deity. Okay. Or even an animal. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Does it have to be a, a female? Can it be a male? No, Absolutely. How about Apollo? Oh, oh, actually, no wonder you love Athena. Apollo is actually the male counterpart. So he basically does the exact same um, vibrational pattern as Athena, which is really fascinating. So it has to the archetypes you cotton towards have to do with making the unknown conscious and then how to use it in a practical manner. So you would use um, lemon, black pepper, or... Um, rosemary to do that so I'm, i know you've probably read his stories a million times but every time that you read that that's not an abstraction that that's actually the um the blueprint of the pattern that he brings into a person so when you use a plant that's associated with him it actually brings that out into the forefront of your personality you said earlier that it it took you seven years to write this did you have some some crisis in your life which um, had you go to, to the plants to heal yourself? Can you tell us a little bit about anything that might have happened with you? Yeah, I was actually born into a community um, that didn't resonate with my soul. And so from a very um, early age, um, I had very strong um, emotional dislike for it and so I moved away from the community and I um, did all of the traditional things you would think about you know therapy and this and that and the other and then it just wasn't strong enough medicine to remove that for me and then I had in a dream basically um, that revealed to me the combination of um, plants and and herbs I should use to basically remove that bondage and sure enough that it did because I knew when I was no longer reactionary that karma was lifted from my um, my life journey. How many years ago was that, Candice? Oh, that's been quite a bit now. Um, that, that's been, I would say, a good three, four years ago. So I noticed that throughout this book you have so many formulas for so many um, essential oils. Do you do you also make them and sell them on a website? I do. Um, you can go to um, my website, which is divinearchetypes.org, and basically I put together um, some of my favorites. And I also really favor alchemical blends that really are like um, bared out in traditional society. So I use a lot of um, Ayurvedic blends in there also. Okay. So. Um Tell us more about your upbringing and how you came to be spiritual in this lifetime. Well, I very much believe that I was um, 
again, if I don't answer your question precisely, please redirect me. I was basically born into a Mormon community, which um, on the surface I really didn't um, resonate with because they do not really honor the feminine honestly in any way whatsoever. And as a little girl, even though I didn't know anything better, there was just every part of my body rebelled against it. And so it created a lot of conflict because, of course, the primary person I went to to try to work this out with was my mother. And so I felt as a woman and as a feminine um, incarnation, she should have had more empathy towards my not liking it. Well, I came to learn, and this was an interesting part of my journey, that her incarnation pattern is just so different than mine that she's actually completely happy. So that became a very difficult thing. But one of the more interesting things that was the positive, because sometimes life is a dualistic blessing, is that um, because my family were some of the original settlers in the wild, wild west in Utah, that um, I come from a long line of um, women who were um, basically got to learn how to use plants from indigenous population, and that was their only source because they didn't have traditional medical facilities. And so um, other than me, every other woman in my family is basically an RN. So all of us basically chose some sort of healing. I just think that I just had a little bit more of a earth-based understanding that I do think perhaps is generational. And at the same time, I think I was very upset from the environment that I was born into that caused me to ask a lot of questions and search. No, that makes a lot of sense. So so you, you, left, you left so that you could... Uh, free your spirit and and go in the way that you needed to go. So kudos, girl. I'm glad that you m- made those choices. How is your family now with you? Uh, well, it's been a really long journey. I mean, I'm I'm 46 now. I left home at 17. I've only started being in regular conversation with them in the last year. So it has been a long road to hoe. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of us star seeds really love our 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 baths, our ritual baths. A lot of us put salt and <laughs> different things in our bath water. And I noticed that in your book that you talk about putting milk in with salt and Epsom salts. I, I had not ever heard of putting milk with salt. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more how that came about for you to 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 use those two combinations? Oh, because it's delight itself. Milk is everything that's nourishing. It's the thing that fosters your soul. So anytime you have, like, especially if you're speaking to a star seed, I would think a lot of your soul feels, like, sort of bruised and charred sometimes because this world is so abrasive. Milk literally holds the vibration of nurturing. It's sucker. It's, like, all those things that are nourishing where salt has the fascinating vibration of removing like negativity. So sometimes just a salt bath for somebody who's in a vulnerable place, it's just too much. It's, um, it kind of, um, it feels you feeling um, hollow and in a void. So if you use that in combination and then you add mix with intention, the plants into your bath with the intentions of what you want to create, 
your soul is um, filled and your personality gets to be replenished, but at the same time, the hindering effects are removed. Wow. That's very interesting. I've never thought about putting milk in. Huh. I think that, that you have done an excellent job in and choosing the essential oils that you have chosen to, to write about in your book. Um, give us some more. Do you have any stories uh, to tell us about people that that you've worked magic with with these essential oils? Oh, I have a million. You just give me a direction so I know the sort of, I mean, seriously, just toss out just a topic. I'm just, sure I'll have a story. Yeah. Whatever comes to mind, just, just tell us whatever oh. comes up. Oh, no, I genuinely want you to choose, like, um, a behavioral trait, and then I'll tell you the story around it. Okay. Okay, how about um, a client that um, is afraid to take their power, afraid of being persecuted because of maybe past life persecution through religion? I am so glad that you brought that up, and thank you for giving me clarity. Actually, my incarnation pattern does way better when I have direct questions. So, yes, actually, I had this most amazing, brave woman who was born in the Deep South. She's in her 70s now when um, it was in the height of um, probably not their um, best behavior. She happened to be a lesbian, and she happened to be super liberal. She was born into an extremely conservative family, and it was not, again, and easy growing up. So she um, made her way um, out west where she became a client of mine. And actually, one of the more interesting rituals that really benefited her was um, using a combination of kafir lime leaf, which has to do with cutting um, karmic lines when it has to do with um, like has to do with the history of your family, how that be like your community or your direct family line or even things from um, past lives. Kafir line actually literally cuts that. And then also within that, she mixed in galangal, which is the essential oil that has to do with healing the DNA of that memory within that. So it lets go for you. And she anointed her socks for a year and a day about And then she would walk around them all day, you know, just being, you know, uplift through her feet, through her body. So it energetically, you know, helped her hold that pattern, you know, because even though she moved here, she had to go through the difficulty of her father dying and like her sister's opinion of her, you know, and this and that. But it allowed her to hold strong. And at the end of the day, she's very happy and content and unto herself. When you say that you, she put it on her socks, uh, did she soak the socks in, in something and let them dry, or was it wet, or how, how did she do that? Oh, 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 thank you. I'm sorry. Sometimes those things seem so apparent to me, I forget to say it. No, just a few tiny little drops, because you don't want it to be too much. I mean, because it's basically, you just need the energy of the plant. And you don't want to create any sort of, like, caustic environment for your foot. So literally a drop of each in her cotton sock, and then she would just rub it in with her finger so it was dispersed, and then just put it on. How about people that want to get pregnant? Do you have any stories of women that come to you that want to have babies and 
and you put yeah. together a, an essential oil packet for them. Do you have any stories about that? Yes, because that is a wonderful gift. Okay, uh, Rosewood is absolutely amazing for that. Neroli and actual rose. So you've got Rosewood, Neroli, and Rose. Because what you want to do is you want to basically petition fertility goddesses. And that's where the archetype comes in. So that one would be a good one to dilute into, again, you want an oil, base oil that represents fertility. So corn oil, you know, put a couple of drops of each of those in there and then just literally rub it on your tummy before you make love. That is a very good way to invite um, a new life into your, into your life. Well, that's great. I know that you probably have a lot of different people that come to you for different reasons, but do you ever have anyone that shows up that's that's uh, afraid of the dark or have, have a light on to sleep? Oh, I'm so glad you bring this up because out of my incarnation, I was born loving the dark, not because I'm negative. I just think I just very much vibrate to the dark moon and like those underworld goddesses that are sonic are very much my thing. So yes, I actually draw and drove women to me that need to get their night owl eyes to see in the dark. And um, the hands down oil for that is betel leaf. It's what? Betel leaf. Betel leaf. Yeah, huh. that is, it's amazing. It vibrates to, um, the Dark Moon, Lilith, um, Paul Ben Lamo, I mean, Black Sophia, you know, it's like all of the that beautiful, deep, wonderful, rich energy that is cultivated from the true collective unconscious that comes through feminine creativity that is expressed precisely not to please anyone other in society other than learning how to create the most um, – rich interior soul life it is so good so i find it when people are afraid of the dark in that manner it is because they're cut off from their soul and they very much need a plant ally to link them into that rich sucker because it is the kindest sweetest velvet if you can just relax into the energy and betel leaf helps with that more than i can say i noticed that you that you also talk about numerology to help you make the blends how how mm-hmm. does this work give us an example of of how to use numerology to make your blends oh well because everything in the world is vibration and once you understand that it just helps you organize things so for example um if somebody I, okay so i would say a good 70% of people who come to me they're always trying to figure out how to build something So they have an idea, they want to birth it into the world, and they're having sort of a hard time figuring out how to actually bring it into fruition. For example, it's simple as it is, the number four. So I would give them an essential oil blend, and then they would use four drops into their base oil to use because the number four is the energy of stability, structure, and creating something that is manifest. Huh, that makes sense. Now, you talk about the five great elements. Uh, Talk to our audience about the five elements and how that you use them. Oh, they're delightful. I take this from a very traditional Vedic point of view. 
according to them, and they have this lovely word they, uh, word they call tattvas, and that really means thatness, the essence that makes you feel. And that's literally what it means. So according to them, every single element basically has um, very specific behavioral patterns. And so our whole range of human emotion falls within that. And that's a really hard thing to say in two seconds. But if you give me, for example, throw out a behavioral pattern, I can identify it for you and work it backwards. That's a really efficient way to do this. So the, so the five elements are ether, air, fire, water, and earth. Right. Yeah. But within that, like think of like a personality trait that you think about. It could be anything, like anything you ever see anybody ever express, just put that out there. What What is a personality trait? Well, you mean like water? No, 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 no. Like actually, like real people you know, um, it could be passion. It could be jealousy. It could be fearful. It could be happiness. It can be excitement. It could be spirituality. I mean, what I'm trying to say is the whole scope of human condition is within this. And each one of those elements basically embody the vibrational rate that allows those behaviors to be housed in your human body. And each one of those elements produce the chakras, which are more famous in the Western society, which people are a little bit more comfortable with knowing how those behave. So, But those are literally the energetic wellsprings that create behavior. And so it's just sort of fun to see where one ties back into. So just think about when people come to you, what is one of the things they work on most is like something that they either want to achieve or something they want to curb. Okay. So I noticed that in the book you have a lot of um, bathing rituals. What is your favorite bathing ritual? Do you do you go more for the um, in, invoking the water energy or the fire energy or what, what's your favorite? Or what oh, do you well, use? bounce around and use them at different times? Oh, yeah, because that's the most important thing. Since we're created out of all of those things, it's very important to be able to have it be very fluid and that you use whatever you need. For example, um, I'm writing a new book right now, so I require a lot of fire energy because that would organize my um, left brain and let me put down information. So I would use fire-based oils, in my bath or but at other times like say I want to explore the deep mysteries I would use ether based oils or if I just literally had to clean my house and I wasn't in the mood I would use earth based oils so they all have a practical application it's just whatever it is that you need in that moment to get things done you also talk on page 169 Chapter 15 about finger signatures. I had never heard of this before. This is the first time I've been introduced to to finger signatures. I have heard about people that have finger power, that people that have fingers that I had a lady one time to light a cigarette with her finger, and it just blew my mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'll never get over <laughs> that is seeing that woman light her cigarette with her finger. And that's what I uh-huh. thought of when I turned to this page. So tell us what you mean by finger signatures. Well, it goes back to the archetypes. Within our body, we basically hold the entire universe. And so if you want to really pull into it, you can. 
For example, my favorite is um, using mercury because I like that being able to slip within realms. So when I make a blend, I'll use my pinky finger. And then what I ask is I basically say my prayer, my incantation, however you want to say it, my affirmation. And I basically ask, take me above and below and tell me everything I need to know in between. And I know using that part of my body is going to be a doorway into that. But other times when I have to do um, something that is like really difficult and I honestly don't want to do and I know I have to muddle through with it, I'd use my Saturn finger, which is my middle finger, whose gift is, is letting you work through difficulties and understanding the gift that was involved with it without wilting before you get to the other side. So basically, when you're creating your blends, you can call on your own inner divinity that is housed by birthright inside your body to help enliven your blends, and it makes it much stronger if you set that intent before you use it. You know, a lot of people come to me that have uh, a lot of questions about why they're here on the planet, and and they seem to be wanting to activate themselves, but they don't know how to come to their higher spiritual galactic self. Is there a, a particular essential oil blend that would work for them? Oh, Wait. that's a good question. Honestly, to tell you the truth, that falls into, um, I would say, flower essences. They're more finite. They have a more subtle vibration. I would say... Um, um, moonflower, and then also um, starflower. That's good for those sweet little galactic souls that need to really anchor in. So that's their first step. And so, but that's still very ethereal. So I would have them do that first. But then once they want to anchor that understanding into the earth, then I would go to a very deeply earthly blend like um, vetiver and patchouli or red spikenard because it would help them understand what to do with their their dharma and understand what their brilliant gift was and its practical application and how they could make the world a better place because that's precious knowledge that they're carrying. Right. So, so why do you use vibrational tools for the medium? Oh, say that again, please. Why do you use vibrational tools for the medium? Because everything is vibration. Okay. It is the, it's, I mean, from my point of view, it's the only medium. Because, I mean, even though everything seems tangible, at more subtle level, everything is dictated by its vibration. And that, I think that is what this, the secret to sort of an, an ease-filled life is, is figuring out what's specific things vibrate to. And once you understand that, it, it's basically like a, a key to the universe. You can open up different doorways into whatever you want. You just need to create a relationship with matter that's incarnated on this earth and you understand what its vibratory rate is. And once you understand that, it tells you basically the principal story that it's expressing. And then once you get that, it's the doorway that opens you into whatever reality you want to create. And that's the thing, is the earth is, it is so abundant. There is not a thing that an individual does not want that you cannot find a key for. So that's why vibration is important. 
You just need to be clear on what vibration you desire, I think. Do you ever, after you make an essential oil combination, do you ever slip a tiny crystal in or or gemstone? Do you use gemstones with your essential oils? Absolutely. Actually, I... um, I make um, the chakra blends for the chakra center, and I use gemstone elixirs in all of that. So, yeah, I mean, all of those things that were created in co-creation, I mean, there's a lot of co's in one sentence. But, yeah, actually, crystals and plants, they work in absolute um, symmetry. And what's so interesting, the way I look at it is is that crystals and gemstones have, like, um, the most thonic, ancient, primordial structural energy you can imagine. It's wonderful for building your house on. Plants, they're the secondary, and they have a little bit more fluidity and um, flexibility, and they're a tad bit more whimsical in the way they express themselves. And if you combine those two together, wow, it's dynamite. Yes, I think you should, whenever possible, always combine the two. Yeah. I, I, I really, I love all the essential oils that I've ever had in the past that that were um, uh, extended with with a gemstone in the bottom. And I always like to put one of my little Giza crystals in my essential oils and just charge it up. <laughs> I've been yeah. doing that often for years. So mm-hmm. I would love to hear another story. Let's see another topic that I want to know about. How about? Um, someone that comes to you that uh, wants to find their soulmate or find someone oh. that they can spend their, their their life with. I have a lot of people that are always looking for a soulmate. Is there a particular combination that would align to them bringing to themselves the right person for the right time? I love that question because I think that that is such a beautiful thing. So, yes, and I'm going to follow suit with you talking about a combination of gemstones and essential oils. I would say, of course, you start with a little bit of pink quartz because you want it to be grounded in the heart. I would, you need a little bit of divinity in there. So, you know, dealer's choice, either choose an amethyst or a clear crystal, depending on what your preference is. So you get a little bit of divine knowledge to make sure you're not just projecting. But then as far as essential oils go, I would do um, a Scott's Pine, which vibrates to self-love. So that is the first and most important step for looking for a soulmate, to make you are so solidly rooted in yourself that you are choosing from a place of absolute choice because you're not needy, you're not afraid, you're not wounded, you're not scared. So you got to get some scotch pine going on and then you put in a little bit of neroli which heals childhood trauma and as much of everybody wants to be all grown up and never have things from our childhood bother us that is the uh, essential oil to basically guarantee you don't bring over any weird leftover karma from childhood so that's was a really great one plus it opens your heart and then you put in a little bit of rose like a real rose, and then what that is is that it's understanding love through the highest lens. So that together I think is a really great way to guarantee when you engage in a dating cycle 
that you find the person that is absolutely correct to you, plus vibrations attract vibrations. So if you use that, it's a very nice way to invite a lovely individual into your life who actually would fit that bill. I noticed that you have uh, a chapter talking about sacred jewelry, imbuing your jewelry with healing intent, the anointment. Tell us a little bit about how that works, and do you have a story uh, to tell us about anointing jewelry? Oh, well, that's alchemy at its deepest root. And, well, I just have to say, I don't know if this is the story that you wanted. I've just been really lucky. It's like... um, A lot of my really deep friendships have been these really amazing uh, women who create sacred jewelry out of India or Nepal. So it's like um, I've had a chance to be around them when they talked about the sacred symbols and the different metals, and and it got me all excited, so I started researching it. And then I started figuring out that in ancient um, India, Ayurveda actually put a really huge um, belief into why you should use botanicals to anoint metals, and especially if those metals were made into yantras to create specific states, and I became to realize what a powerful synergy it is. So the thing is, it's like you're talking about um, the crystals earlier. So Silver has a vibration, gold has a vibration, copper has a vibration. And so once you understand that, and then perhaps there's even a jewel on that that holds its own vibration, and then all of a sudden you get to create this very complicated story that's beneficial. It's just another way, again, going back to I really believe everything is vibration, is that the larger vocabulary you can give yourself for healing tools, the better you're going to be. So, for example, I do much better with a question, like throw, throw out a condition and I will give you a jewelry with essential oil scenario that would be positive. Huh. Okay. Um, say a person wants to relocate and doesn't want to live where they're living and they want to move. What would you suggest to put on, uh, say, gold? Well, gold would not actually be great for them because gold has a degree of grounding to it. So they would want silver. So silver, okay. Yeah, because they would want to relocate. So what they need is the energy of silver. And silver vibrates to air and ether. So it's the energy of movement. So, And since that's the heavier vibration in the dynamic, they would anoint their energy amulet or necklace or ring or bracelet, whatever earring, whatever they chose to use, with an oil that had to do with discretion and where you'd want to move. And so a really great oil for discretion is pedigree. So you'd put a little bit on that. And so what it would do is it would help you remove your roots from a place even though you felt reluctant. Pedigree would help you see where you wanted to go. And then You have to have that step first. But once you get that idea down, then once they're ready to go, then you could tuck into the gold and put on maybe some vetiver or some spikenard, and that would help them integrate into the community once they made up their mind. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I have really enjoyed talking with you, and I'm looking at the time, and and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, who has the switchboard. 
and maybe we have some star seeds that would like to call in and, and talk to you about something, you know, some things that you said tonight, or maybe give comments on what they know about essential oils. So anyone that's on the switchboard, you know, please call in and, and talk with Candace. She's she's here, ready to uh, talk to you. So it's been my pleasure talking with you today. And let me ask you one question before I I, I let you go. Sure. Don't you think that you are having a lot of past life memory of things that you've done in other lifetimes in this area? Oh, I know we have to go, but yes, I'm so glad that you asked that. Oh, I absolutely believe this. I think that this is a culmination of a million lives. I think I could have done nothing else, to tell you the truth. I mean, honestly, it's I was literally born, my mom tells me these fascinating stories before I was even old enough to remember where I'd go out and I would pick herbs around the yard and I would lay her on the couch and I would rub them on her body and I'd tell her these elaborate stories of what they were doing for her. And with my allowance growing up in Utah, believe me, there was not a lot of outlets, I would ride my bike to the only holistic um health food store in town and I bought their only essential oils and their only single book on essential oils and I studied it and it's like it was just when I was a little kid it was very clear to me it was my one and only passion so I believe that actually deeply yeah you it sounds like you come from the great hall of ancient secrets absolutely (laughs) and I'm so thrilled that you have have decided to write this beautiful book and to be on our show today. So thank you so much. So I'm going to pass you over now to Ariel. I just have to say before you go, thank you for having me. You are a lovely host, and thank you for your ability to ask interesting questions. I've enjoyed myself. Thank you, honey. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Well, Candice, this is just fascinating, and um, I want to ask you some questions myself, but before I do that, I just want to let people know that if you're already on the switchboard, if you've already called in, if you have a question um, for Candice, then you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to come on and ask a question. If you're listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And uh, while we're waiting to see if uh, we have anybody with any questions, um, I want to go back to the finger signature because you mentioned sure. that you know, like your pinky finger you you said that was the representing mercury you mean mercury the god mercury the planet or mercury the metal oh they're all interchangeable that's the thing about um archetypes is they build on each other it's like and especially you've probably heard this mercury is a thrice god <laughs> he's definitely um a sassy one so yeah so actually mercury the planet um displays the behavior as mercury the god and in um old um alchemical times that's the reason why they would call upon the metal mercury because they wanted to find a way to invoke that most deeply into the body so obviously that one's a a little bit hard one to use because it's toxic so i would very much say call upon the deity or work with the um the energy of the planet and um of course i have an astrological background and if for me mercury the planet um represents movement changeability, um, 
almost restlessness and and just 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 constant movement as well as um, communication and understanding and learning. So is that what you would say that your pinky finger um, would accent if you focus on that? Um, if those are qualities that you're trying to grab onto. Well, that's a part of it, but he's also traveling between dimensions, communication, making choices swiftly, acting quickly. Um, He's good with dream work, active imagination, success in public speaking or in business or receiving esoteric messages. He helps us operate in the as-above-so-below paradigm. And because, I mean, he's the original caretaker of the Emerald Tablets. He's all about that. He's the god of alchemy and good luck and unexpected coincidence and synchronicity. He opens one to gaiety, joy, ingenuity, nature, spirits, and working with our inner psychopaths. He's one of the few gods in um, the Greek pantheon that can go all the way from heaven to hell and earth in between. So he literally has the ability to help you access all aspects of your being. Wow. Wow, that that makes total sense to me. Um so what your ring finger which which what is the signature for that? Oh, the ring finger it has to do with Apollo. And so he's actually sort of uh, sort of the counterpart to our darling Mercury. He has to do with artistic expansion through established channels, emotional distance, which I find actually fascinating. I mean, especially considering that we put our marital ring on that. Let's just keep that in mind. Moderation, bringing chaos into order. Imagination, accessing the subconscious and emotions. He's masculine energy, refinement. And this is one of the things he does most, refinement, brilliance, and being conscious. He's energy, vitality, and enthusiasm for life. He has the the adage to know thyself and to promote Nothing in excess. Helpful for learning the classical art, language, painting, sculpting, music, and a recognized style. So he is like an expression of an art, but he's not creative. He helps you learn things that are um, already been well established. So he helps you learn how to play the cello or learn a foreign language or do well when you're in school. But if you want uniquely new information, he's not your go-to. Well, this is interesting because I'm thinking, you know, Apollo um, associated with the sun and mm-hmm. and everything that you just listed kind of goes in that fifth house, which is ruled by the sun. And I'm, I'm kind of um, associating my astrological background with what you're saying, and it's just, it's right in line. And you, you probably well, don't have, you know, haven't had that much experience with, or have you, with studying astrology. No, I have not, other okay. than I enjoy well, having my charts done. <laughs> okay, well, well, it would uh, um, it would come really easily to you because um, you would make the same association. So uh, <clears throat> you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, Apollo, um, and it's, I mean, am I correct, Apollo, the uh, son of the god of the sun, or the, the, uh, having yeah. to do with, with the sun, and everything that you mm-hmm. just mentioned, the creativity, the learning, the you know, learning an instrument, um, that's, that's fifth house, and that's where the sun rules. So, okay, now the, the, the middle finger, 
Um, you mentioned that also. Um, could you go over it again? Oh, that's Saturn. I think he gets Saturn. such a bad rap. Oh, poor guy. I mean, seriously, nobody ever talks nice about him. But he, but actually, he has a really profound gift for humankind. It just doesn't feel good because he feels like a parental strict character. But he's all about creating structure, boundaries, and organization. He's good for comprehension. And then he's also good for using hard work to solve problems and having the strength to deal with head-on difficulties. And so much of life kind of boils down to that. We kind of wish it doesn't, but it really is helpful. And then he's also really great with working with all shadow issues and understanding time and working with setbacks and limitations. That's, that's completely my concept of the planet Saturn. Um, yeah, structure, boundaries, limits, hard work. And I always I mean, I tell my clients, you know, Saturn isn't necessarily a day at the beach, but um, <clears throat> it's, it's being able to, to get the work done. And, um, and certainly I agree that people have um, learned to, for, well, I think I understand why, but think of Saturn as kind of the boogeyman <laughs> Um, yeah. But it's it's because Saturn is also um, in in astrology. He's the bill collector. You Ooh. reap as you sow, and so mm-hmm. if people are living in, uh, let's say, <clears throat> karmically, they're living in the red, you know, and they just keep, oh. you know, incurring more karmic debts as they you know take from people. They don't give back. They they you know lie, cheat, steal, do all the the things that. Eventually, I mean, that goes on your permanent record. And maybe not in this lifetime, but in some lifetime, you're going to have to pay that bill. And it's Saturn who shows mm-hmm. up with the bill. So since a lot of people um, aren't really careful about, you know, doing no harm and, and leaving people better than you found them. Um, so when Saturn shows up in their chart in a tight, you know, difficult situation, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna, you know, it's going to spank them. But it's not Saturn; it's the re- it's the repercussions of, you know, what they're right. you know hauling with them, in their in their unpaid bills. But yeah, Saturn right. is is the is the one that will um, will get you to the top basically. of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So well, what? it is. Oh no! I just yeah. want to say one more thing because I honestly super love Saturn. I like I said I think he's most un- misunderstood. I just want to say that he's not in any way grumpy. He's a kind parent. And before he became Saturn, he was actually one of the original fertility gods in mythology. So what he is, is he teaches you the principles of how to understand how to live daily life. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I like what you said, because if you want something, you have to sow your seed. It's like, he's, as much as I love magical understanding and I've had a much, much miracle in my life, there's been a big part of it that has to do with direct sewing. And that is a direct Saturn influence. He teaches me every single thing that I want. I need to think very carefully. I need to set my seeds. I need to tend my garden. And then when the time comes, I can harvest it. And since he is an original God of fertility, he's happy when I harvest. So 
So it's not that he does not want me to thrive, but he insists that I show up in life and I make everyday choices that work towards a goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a uh, very well-respected astrology text that, that does, I mean, it says Saturn was given dominion over the earth and the reaping and the sowing and the harvesting mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that if you're building a structure in your life, whether it's tangible or um, abstract, if you take shortcuts, you know, if you don't build up to code, that's when Saturn will come and give you an earthquake. So it's like, see, see, that, you know, that wall isn't strong enough. You've got to go back and, and make it strong. And once, once you complete that, um, you know, up to code, so to speak, mm-hmm. whatever Saturn builds um, is everlasting. And it will serve you yes. well, well, well into the future. But mm-hmm. it is, it, it's the strength. And, and it also mm-hmm. gives you the, the, uh, um, the seriousness that, yes. that you need to approach certain things with. So, yeah, I mean, Saturn I, is, is not about fun and games. It's about doing the work, doing it well, and reaping the harvest. I really love how you said that because, you know what, I, I'm very much a fairy, like, archetype in my life, and I have levity to the thousandth degree. But I honestly, I pray to Saturn frequently when I have to do something that I know that requires me to, like, really buckle down. And I think that that is a great and honorable energy to use judiciously. Absolutely. So what about your pointer finger? Oh, now this is a pointer finger. Everybody loves this one. This one's easy going. This one is Apollo. So this one has to do with Wait, manifesting. Two? Oh, two? oh, no, no, no. I No, I didn't mean that. I meant to say Zeus. I am so sorry. Okay. I spoke out of turn. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Pointer finger is Zeus. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for calling me on that. Yeah, apparently, I am all caught up in Apollo, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, right. Zeus yeah. is, is um, authority, charisma, and leadership. He has to do with new thoughts, sudden insights, breakthroughs, philosophy, expansion, higher thought, and abundance. He attracts affluence and expands the intellect so we can see the big picture. He is genuinely, like, if you want to embody being legal, having personal authority, and taking care of and protecting those in need, that is the energy that you call on. Interesting. Now, all of those those key words that you just listed, we associate associate that with Jupiter. And is uh, is there a relationship between Jupiter and Zeus, or are they one and the same? They're one and the same. He basically, if that's, yeah, one and the same. That's the weird things about archetypes is you give them different names, but they behave the same. So basically Zeus, I mean, because Jupiter in Rome was um, Zeus's name. So he is Jupiter. He is Rome. They do, they have the same behavioral pattern and they bestow the same gifts. Interesting. That's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, abundance, justice, the high spirituality, the higher mind, teaching, learning, seeking that big picture, um, that's, that's what Jupiter um, would rule astrologically. And, yeah, and, uh, and, and certainly and, publishing. Well, indeed. And, and do you know what's fun for listeners? Okay, look at your hands. 
so look at your pointer finger. So not only just for making things, this goes for any of the deities. Look for um, star markings by your finger. If you have these cute little star patterns by your finger, that lets you know if that's a deity that's super active for you. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm looking at my hand now thinking, what is she talking about? Star yeah, markings. Yeah, this falls would... into pomology. So it's like they're just crosshatched. So it's they don't look like perfect stars, but they're just um, uh, like three or more um, lines that intercede that create um, sort of a muddled-looking star. I don't know how else to verbally express it. Okay, so you're but, looking at the, the at the palm of your hand, not the back of your hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the palm okay, of so your hand. Okay, so on the palm of the, your hand, you look at the lines, yeah. and if there's yeah. the base of one finger that has three lines intersecting. Yeah, or more. Yeah, that lets you or know more. that you, yeah, that it tells you that's a very active energy for you. God. Well, I, I, I got them on all of my fingers. Well, then <laughs> you, my young lady, are a very, very connected young lady. Yeah, well, that's marvelous. Okay, so, yeah. so the pointer finger that is Zeus, um, Jupiter. Yeah. I think of Zeus, you know, like like you know, throwing the lightning bolts, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in in mythology. But you know, when you are when you're trying to uh, have inspiration, would that kind of be a, a Zeus thing? Oh, this is actually fascinating that you break this up. Okay, well, his sacred um, tree is the oak tree. And an interesting thing about oaks is that they were um, they grow not in a grove. They tend to grow alone, and they tend to be hit by lightning more than most trees on earth. And what's so fascinating, historically, oak is an oracle tree. Even in Jason and the Argonauts, they brought a piece of um, oak when they were going about because they needed an oracle to tell them where to go. Since he is the first and foremost father, if you need help with an oracle, Zeus is a good one to pull on. And if you need a plant ally, use oak and vibrational essence. Wow. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think in, in the Native American um, philosophies, oak is strength. And that that lines Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if there were something. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, you. So I was, if if there were something um, in your life that that you wanted to protect, um, you know, it's like even your garden from keeping the you know the rabbits and the deer from coming and eating your vegetables. Um, could you? <laughs> is there something that you could do, um, maybe with oak to protect your garden or some other? White birch Aspect. of all things. White birch. birch. White, white birch. Yeah, white birch. White birch, yeah, she is the protectress. She has to do with everything. And if you were going to, you can get her an essential oil for It won't keep deer away, but it will keep bunnies and, um, like, ground squirrels away. Yeah, if you put it on the perimeter. But even energetically, like, way back into the time when um, runes were used, um, her, it, their rune for protection was carved on white birch. She literally is the white goddess of the forest whose entire job is to protect. Wow, and it, it is, it, it, 
I remember a, a birch tree on the a street where I grew up, and it had like white papery bark. Is that what you're talking yes. about? Where the Absolutely. bark kind of peels off and like an onion skin, that's the white birch? Interesting. Yeah. I always loved yeah, those trees. So, oh, I know. Aren't they sweet? I mean, you don't mm-hmm. want to hurt them, but you can go up and, you know, gather a few leaves or like when the, you know, their bark is peeling, you can go ahead and gather that, you know, put it, you know, in an, like a little jar and put it, you know, inside your window because she also um, rules moonlight, you know, and that way it'll keep you having sweet dreams or you can keep it at a herm, you know, at a doorway to keep, you know, any imposing or unpleasant thoughts away. And if you're more of an essential oil girl, you can just diffuse the essential oil in your home. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, we got one more finger, the thumb. <laughs> My personal <laughs> favorite. <laughs> it's ruled by Aphrodite and Inanna. Oh, she's everything sassy that is feminine. What I like about her is she's all things that are feminine without rules. She's passionate, love, sensuality, sexual, spiritual force, and really fit with it when I say that. I mean, I'm talking kundalini here. Mm-hmm. Sex appeal, but not in a gross way. I mean, I'm just talking about like when you love yourself to the point where you're your natural self, you're just delightful because you're delighted with yourself in life. Primal force of nature, muse energy, the animating vital force that dwells within matter. I love that so much. Expansion, no limitations, the unknown. And how many times, I mean, we are so in, get inundated in our own life. When we get to go into the unknown, it's the perfect. She represents um, information beyond the rational, wild abandon, unregulated artistry, appreciation for beauty, enjoying sensual pleasures, things like wine, you know, fragrant massages, food-scented baths, glorious conversations learning through the senses, bonding, love relationships, attracting abundance in the heart arena, bringing about transformation by shining light on disharmonious patterns and stimulating spiritual understanding. Her archetype is the morning and the night star, meaning she embodies both the dark and the bright goddess energies. She's considered alchemical and unpredictable, and (laughs) she's not easy to regulate nor is she for the faint of heart. Well, that's that's Venus. Um, <laughs> obviously, the the, the uh, I guess it was the the I, I get the Greek and the Roman names mixed up, but I know Aphrodite and Venus are kind of the same, just oh, different yeah, names, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, and yeah, and Venus in your chart. I mean, Venus can be very, um, very much artistic and social and. Um, it's how you love people. So everything you just said is like, yeah, you would pick up astrology so quickly because you already know this stuff. You just didn't oh. realize it. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to get a reading from you because I love these archetypes. They're the things that am- animate my imagination and give me, um, I think Marie Von Fonts is one of the most brilliant unions I've ever read. And she says, one of the most important things an individual can do for themselves is to read enough mythology and astrology falls within that, that it gives you a cultural context. When you reach a vastness that you don't understand, 
you will have the stable footing that you will know how to steady yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, are, are the five fingers on the other hand the same? Does it matter what, which hand you're talking about is still the five finger signature? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that. There is a slight difference. So the thing is, is that the fingers are going to be same, same. But the thing is, is the right hand and the left hand, they have slightly different energy. And so the right hand, it has to do with more um, masculine traits, whereas the left hand has to do with more feminine traits. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So you now you were talking about um, uh, when you when you make. Uh, an essential oil blend energetically mm-hmm. if if you stir it with the appropriate finger is that what i heard you say that you can actually put that intent through the appropriate finger into the oil and just give it another layer um, is that what you were saying yes absolutely i cannot nod my head big enough you cannot see it through the phone <laughs> <Yeah>. but absolutely <laughs> Yes, it's because that's absolutely true. Because it's all, I mean, and I kind of want to linger a little bit on what the different hands do. So the left hand invokes the feminine. It has to do, say, for example, you're working with the moon. The left hand actually is um, ruled by lunar energy. It's ruled by intuition and knowing beyond the gross mind, traversing into the unknown, including the subconscious mind. I'm doing gently, and that's something. If you want to get rid of something in a gentle matter, like say you're making a blend and you're asking for a blessing of an undoing, if you use your left hand, it's going to be an easier path for you. It also creates the energy of stillness and receiving, understanding the energy of patience. It helps you foster being nurturing. And, and this one's interesting, things in embryonic forms. Because so often, you know, we have something in our imagination that we want to birth, but it's not quite ready. You know, we've got to love it, and we've got to let it simmer and cook, you know, and be able to be taken care of. This was when you would use this hand. It also is the way to invoke the mystical. Whereas the right hand, it's very masculine. It has to do with solar energy, synthesis, and refinement of deep mystery for conscious use, strong intelligence, being conscious, and superior analytical traits, force, dynamic action, protection, joy, laughter, and warmth, virility, and potency. So it's very easy to see how both of those are very um, wonderful tools, but they're in a very appropriate way. The sun and the moon, yin and yang, they're mm-hmm. diametric opposites. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. So I have one more question for you. And... Um, uh, it looks like we don't have any callers. They're too they're too spellbound to call in. So <laughs> we'll continue. Um, <clears throat> it just crossed my mind, and I don't know if if there would be something you know energetic medicine, if you will, um, to deal with the electromagnetics and the way that they interfere with our bodies. You know, cell phones, cell towers, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is there is there an essential oil that can help um, shake that off? Yeah, and, and going back to your um, lovely um, interviewer who was speaking before, I would use black tourmaline and then 
I would anoint that. I'm trying to think of what I think is the best oil to go with it because there's so many, and I want to make it simple. So let me just give me one sec while I think on that. Okay. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. My question is, do you want something for protection or do you want something to disperse? Do you want something that's like a shield or do you want something that pushes out? Both. Both because I guess first you have to push it out and then you have to shield so it doesn't come back. Okay, so the energy to push it out is as simple as it seems is peppermint that actually disperses all energy. It just its job is to just dissipate. And then when you want to create that closed aura, um, you would want to use rosewood. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. Yeah. A lot of people deal with um, electromagnetic sensitivity. Um, you know, everything from just a headache to having your life you know, completely disrupted because of electromagnetic interferences. So, sure. yeah, I mean, and that's that's something that gets accumulated. So I imagine that you'd first have to disperse it um, energetically with, mm-hmm. did you say black tourmaline or, or, or peppermint? Oh, well, both. Black, well, black tourmaline is like a blanket shield, and so it's a protector. And so you could use that as a grounding point. You don't have to. That doesn't have to be a part of the recipe. It just makes it more dynamic. But peppermint mm-hmm. disperses. So if you and, – and by the way, peppermint always has to be diluted before you put it on your body. But you could rub it on the back of your neck, or you could diffuse it in your home, and that basically diffuses the energy and then um, – Rosewood literally creates an auric shield. It basically, um, honestly, it makes you like a turtle. It just creates this impermeable boundary where energies from the outside can't get in. That is really helpful. That is really helpful because I'm I'm now going to all different kinds of applications, really even beyond just electromagnetic interference, but you know, if you were going to go into a, if you had to go into a, a um, kind of a, a a snake pit energy, you know, whether you had to go get your kid yeah. out of the out of the bar or um, you know whatever, you had to go into some place where you knew it was just going to be very dark negative, then you just get the mm-hmm. rosewood, and then you could come in and get out without getting any on you. That <laughs> kind of Oh, how that works! Totally, yeah. And oh, if you ever, yeah, and if you ever get anything that's an icky bit that like somehow decided to get on you, the strongest essential oil you can use is kefir lime. It will basically cut any entity, any energy, any thought form, anything from your subtle body. So, and if you have a pre-existing condition, you would want to use that before you went in. So could you spell that? I've never heard that word before. Oh, sure. It's kefir, K-I-F-F-I-R, lime, L-I-M-E. And then you could do the fruit or the leaf, but you want the leaf. So it's L-E-A-F, so kefir lime leaf. And it basically, it genuinely, it doesn't matter what is attached to your subtle body. It will absolutely detach it and give you a clean slate. It's way powerful well that is really useful because i know that a lot of star seeds have to deal with things like that 
um, because, you know, the more light you carry, the more attractive you are, like moths to the flame, the more light you have, the more attractive you are to the lower energies who want to kind of feed on that and, um, you know, stand in your light. And that can get very draining. And yeah, so, and that's yeah. so unfair. And that should not be your burden for being <laughs> delightful. I'm serious. I've always, I'm so glad that nature takes care of that because I always thought that was such an, like a non-fair <laughs> dynamic, you know. But like to fear light, you can be as shiny as you want. <laughs> you can have that and no icky thing can connect to you. Because you can like yeah. step into your birthright of being delightful. Yeah, Absolutely. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going <clears> to <throat> look into that because, you know, we do uh uh we do a lot of work um hands-on with star seeds when we go to Arkansas. And I'm thinking Ooh. that we're going to need to we're going to need to get an assortment from you. To oh, assist. I'm happy to. Yeah, get, get yeah, just to assist um because there are people walking around that don't even know that they have I call them hitchhikers. Um you know, other unwanted, unknown, um, non-beneficial entities that just walk around and kind of like parasites, etheric yep, parasites. You know, so mm-hmm. kefir, kef is it kefir or kefir? Kefir, kefir, yeah, kefir lime. K i f f i r lime, like lime in the coconut. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And leaf. Okay. Yeah, Kefir, it, it, lime, it, it, leaf. Lime. Yeah, and I'll, I'll send you a link so you don't have to worry. But it's a beautiful, beautiful lumpy lime that's basically grown in um, like South Asia, and its smell is amazing too. It's um, vibrant and clean and bright. I mean, I even honestly use it to wash my clothes, like just a few drops, just because that way it ensures that whatever you know, ookiness got stuck on my clothes when I was out in my day, absolutely clean when I put them on again, not only on a physical level, but an energetic level. Oh, well, this is great information, Candice. So um, I want to uh, go over again how people can find you. Your website is divinearchetypes.org, and you you have custom blends, you've got pre-blended um, options? Do you do, you do um, individual, I mean, obviously sessions with people where they call up and tell you what they need and you recommend Actually, an essential oil? And, yeah, and, and if you don't want to have to pay for a session, just email me and tell me your really brief question and I'll just uh, recommend a product for you. Okay, and your contact information then is on your website? Yeah, just go to contact me, and then I'll have it. It's just basically Candice at DivineArchetypes.com. But, yeah, just go to my website, and you'll find that. I have to admit, kind of like you guys, I have a hard time making private sessions because I'm kind of busy, but I don't want anyone to feel like their needs are not being met. So if you just send me an email, I can just recommend something. I can't guarantee I can get you a session for months, but I can help you in the interim. Okay, well that's that's very generous, and um, and your book then is also available on your website as well as all the major outlets. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just have to put out a plug to if you have a local bookstore, I have to say, go show some love. You know, go down and buy it from, you know, whatever your neighborhood bookstore is. Okay, excellent. And the title is Essential Oils in Spiritual Practice by Candice Covington. Um, so if you support your local hometown bookstore or if you get it online, uh, the main point is that you do get it because um, this is really wonderful information. And Starseeds, our listeners, um, are going to really, really gravitate towards this, you know, energy uh, energetic remedies and treatments and things and you're so very knowledgeable like lavendar said this is this is not something that you just learned for the first time in this lifetime this is you know culmination of of untold numbers of lifetimes of experience and learning that just kind of all came back to you <laughs> I so, have to agree with you on that, and I'm very thankful yeah. for it. Well, <laughs> I will look forward to doing your chart um, when that day comes. I will look so forward to that. So um, right now I want to thank you so much for spending your time, your knowledge, and your heart with our audience. And um, you said you were working on a new book, so when you get that done, let us know, and you know we'll we'll help you get the word out. Um, gladly. Oh, thank you. It's going to be a year. I asked for a year to write it so I could do it with intent, but I will definitely let you know when I'm finished with it. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been a joy having you with us, Candice, and uh, we look forward to uh, communicating um, again in the near future via email charts and things like that. But thank Mm -hmm. you so much for sharing your knowledge with our audience. It was my true pleasure, and everyone was a delight. I feel so blessed, and you are all a delight. Have a wonderful evening. You too. You too. And we'll talk to you again in the future. Okay. Okay. Good night. Um, So from everyone here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week. And until then, hold the light and hold the gratitude. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 